Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Peter Strzok, who was the lead investigator for the FBI in both the Clinton investigation and exoneration and the Russia Trump campaign investigation. He did the interview of Michael Flynn and others. He will appear behind closed doors with the committees on Capitol Hill. But we are told that this may be just a warm up and that we can potentially expect him to testify publicly in the near future so we can all watch his answers to these questions as well. A new piece by Real Clear Investigations, very interesting story, quotes a former FBI agent as saying that he sees that there were seven attempts really by U.S. intelligence and Clinton operatives to essentially entrap members of the Trump campaign. This former agent's name is Mark Walk, and he says, quote, what appear to have been repeated attempts to implicate the Trump campaign in some sort of quid pro quo arrangement with the Russians who claim to have dirt on Hillary look like efforts to manufacture evidence against members of the Trump campaign or create pretexts to investigate it. Tomorrow's hearing will drill down on that very central question here. And earlier this evening, I spoke with Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Hmm. Okay, welcome to the show. Uh, Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right uh, here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, urbanfamilytalk.com. Don't forget to sign up for our conference. We have our marriage and family conference coming up, and we are really putting together a fantastic lineup for you. You're going to love the content that we're going to be bringing. I have been compiling some special treats and things that I'm going to be bringing down with me coming. I'm going to be there in Tupelo. And I've been putting these things together. It's it's like I've been getting a lot of inspiration surrounding it. And so please come to the conference. Not only will there be great content there, but you're going to get to meet a ton of the hosts from AFR and Urban Family Talk. And you're going to get to see and hear from us about what we're doing um, get some updates and, and just a great time of fellowship. And it's a quick conference. Once it's over, you're back to your weekend. We're going to get back to our, you know, different places that we're traveling in from for those of us who aren't local. And you are really going to be pleased with what you see going on there. So you go to urbanfamilytalk.com, click the link and register. And then we'll see you in August, August 17th and 18th. So uh, right now, let's talk about who's coming on. We have Pastor John Hagee of Cornerstone Church coming on next segment. And you just heard uh, from, the, obviously, Fox News clip there talking about so much of what's going on and how unprecedented it is. And there seems to be almost like everybody's in a stupor, like people are unable to um, kind of, I don't know, I people seem as if there's this bad stuff has been going on, yet it's not that bad. Horrible things have been going on in our government, and people seem to just be like fine and okay with it. Um, anyway, I want to listen to Lindsey Graham. I mean, come on. He's not my favorite guy. Lindsey Graham has been talking about this, and he came on uh, with Martha McCallum, who you just heard there, and they were talking about this kind of unprecedented action that was taken by the FBI. And the more we learn, the more we know it was just dirty dealings. It's number eight. Well, what we know now is that the person in charge of the Clinton email investigation, Mr. Strzok and Ms. Page, were in the tank for Clinton and hated Trump. Now, did those two people start an investigation against the Trump campaign 
uh, because they had a political bias or was it based on legitimate evidence? How would you like this guy supervising a confidential informant against the Trump campaign, given his bias and given his dislike for President Trump? He should be the last guy to go to court to get a warrant on anybody associated with the Trump campaign. My question is, what role did they play in the Russian investigation? You know, and it follows up on their text messages, which, you know, I, I would imagine right. he's going to say, look, those are just, you know, I was being funny. <laughs> I was just kidding around. I, you know, no, I didn't like sure. the president, but it had no bearing whatsoever on sure. my on my actions. But, right. they, you know, talk about the insurance policy and they talk yeah. about stopping him. And then, you know, late spring of, of 2016, all these efforts to try to sort of poke for soft places within members of the campaigns and see if they pick up on this stuff begin, it appears. Well, uh, here's what's important. July the 31st, they clear Clinton. Now, let me tell you this. If you had done what she had done with her email systems and compromised classified information, you would not have been cleared. So they could not stop Trump if they found her guilty of abusing uh, classified information. So there was no way they were going to find Clinton liable if the goal was to stop Trump because you're giving him the election. Yeah. The question now is about the Russian investigation. Was it a counterintelligence investigation where they were worried about Russia trying to penetrate the Trump campaign? If that's the reason they investigated the Trump campaign, they should have told the Trump campaign, hey, there's some people associated with right. Russia that you need to be aware of. The fact that they never told the Trump campaign about the investigation is very curious to me. It's curious to all of us. Well, to anybody who's paying attention and to anybody who really feels like, um, we've got a, uh, this, this was a problem. So I'm not okay with, with what's happened. I don't think a lot of Americans are, but we're not seeing the kind of outrage we would see if the media were also outraged. If they were outraged, then um, there would be more outrage out in the public because people would say, well, you know, my favorite host on CNN is outraged about this. It must be something to be outraged about. Unfortunately, we don't have the media um, on the side of having our government behave in a nonpartisan manner. Uh, so I want to go now to some breaking news that I'm noticing that we've got going on. Multiple people have been shot at the Capitol Gazette newspaper in Annapolis. Um, a shooting has occurred at the Capitol Gazette in Anne, Anne Arundel County, a paper that is owned by the Baltimore Sun. Anne Arundel County police confirmed there was an active shooter at 888 Bestgate Road where the newspaper's offices are located. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms has concerned, they've confirmed they're responding to a shooting incident at the Gazette. Da Phil Davis is a Gazette crime reporter who was there at the time of the shooting. He said that multiple people have been shot. Gunmen shot through the glass door to the office, opened fire on multiple employees. Can't say more. Don't want to declare anyone dead, but it's bad. And he was interviewed by police. There's nothing more terrifying than being than hearing multiple people get shot while you're under your desk and then hear the gunman reload. The building was evacuated as officers continued to search it. And Governor Larry Hogan offered on Twitter his condolences, saying that he's absolutely devastated to learn of this tragedy in, An in Annapolis. Um, so they want people to stay away from the area. And the story will be updated. And I'm looking at this over on... Um, one of the other websites there. Ah, here we are. One person is in custody and it sounds as if a shotgun was used. 
Wow. Um, CBS Baltimore is reporting as well. Four deaths reported after a shooting at Capitol Gazette building in Annapolis. Oh, wow. So first shots were reported at 2.40 p.m. after the shooter entered the building. There, w- there may be one person in custody, but they don't know if there are any others who were actually assisting with the shooting. And they were shooting while the shooting was going on. People were live tweeting. Anthony Messenger tweeted out active shooter 888 Bestgate. Please help us. Phil Davis tweeted out, gunman shot through the glass door to the office, open, multi- open fire on multiple employees. And um, yeah, so it's breaking news. They have a crew on the scene. And the White House spokesman, spokeswoman, Lindsey Walters, says President Trump has been briefed on the shooting and our thoughts and prayers are with all of those who are affected. Uh, so as the program progresses, if I see any other uh, breaking news on this story, I'll definitely bring that to you post-haste. Um, Wow. So we have to wonder if the person who's been apprehended. um, Wow. Has that person been um, identified as someone who worked there? Was it an outside shooter? How did this happen? We have so many questions. Um, U.S. News is also reporting the same thing. Um, And and okay. Also, if you're going to run around and say horrible things about gunning down journalists, then you know I'm, I'm not on your side. So as much as I don't like the coverage that the media provides the president and anyone who's a conservative, again, the rhetoric matters. The, the language that we use matters. The person who's responsible for the shooting is, that person is the shooter they're responsible However many people there were that did the shooting, they're responsible. But we are responsible for our language and how we incite, uh, encourage, what have you, people to take actions because their lives are in danger or the republic depends on it or everything's going to burn down or America as we know it will be over. Let's stop that. Let's, let's stop talking like that. Um, so... 20 people have been injured and four people shot by a mass shooter and people are complaining that Sarah Sanders has a little bit of extra security because of the way she's been treated. This is the kind of petty stuff that gets us nowhere. And, and you know, it is, again, I just caution those of us who are Christians about what we're doing when we're getting on Twitter. It's, it's like, it's almost like an infection when you get on there and everybody gets so angry and you can feel your blood pressure start ratcheting up and then everybody starts tweeting things and then there's these horrible, horrible tweets that we don't even barely recognize ourselves. Um, and a lot of people go there as an outlet because they have horrible things going on in their lives. But God is here for us to pray. And he's, he's here to, for us to cast our burdens at his feet. He's here to carry our burdens so that we don't have to resort to going on Twitter and, and tweeting like this. So let's, let's, let's remember that. Um, so I want to talk about these 17 states who are suing the Trump administration. And yes, I'm going back to news, you guys. I'm the, this, this show is not going to be taken over by speculation about who this shooter was or what he did. The news has been broken. I've shared it with you. Moving on to the next portion. So we've got 17 states suing the Trump administration. Another day, another lawsuit. This is a lawsuit that's being brought by 17 states, including Washington, New York, California. Uh, so left-leaning states. All of the states have Democrats who are their attorney generals. And they're filing a lawsuit in Washington, D.C., in U.S. District Court. Actually, 
Washington, D.C. attorneys general have joined the other states and they're actually filing the lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Seattle. If that's not forum shopping, I've never heard it before. The administration's practice of separating families is cruel, plain and simple. And this is according to New Jersey Attorney General Gerber Gruel in an emailed statement. Every day it seems like the administration is issuing new contradictory policies and relying on new contradictory justifications. But we can't forget the lives of real people hang in the balance. And so they claim that this lawsuit is meant to stop this um, from happening. But their lawsuit cannot override the court order from 1997. The Flores decision. That's why the president asked in his court order for Congress and the Department of Justice to seek remedy from the Flores decision, because that's the reason the kids are being separated. You know, rational, clear thinking people can understand that if it's a court decision that's making the government do something, you need a judge to vacate that court decision or you need a new court decision, basically a new lawsuit to wind its way through the courts to make a determination. So here's a little caveat to this story, and it's the reason why I wanted to share it with you. So there's a Trump v. Hawaii, which was um, a Supreme Court decision that just came down. Justice Thomas actually concurred, throwing cold water on the growing practice of district courts imposing nationwide injunctions. Justice Thomas wrote in his opinion that if their popularity continues, this court must address their legality, meaning that district courts from certain segments of the United States, like Seattle or the Ninth Circuit, those courts cannot issue nationwide injunctions that tie the hands of the president of the United States. They can issue injunctions to individuals, but not to the executive branch. If they continue to do that, which is that's exactly what they're looking to do. They want to issue an injunction to prevent the president from separating families and from detaining them, which means catch and release. If they do it, the Supreme Court's going to have to take the matter up. Sounds like that's what we need because, you know, hard headed people are going to hard head. That's what they're going to do. All right. That's the music. When we get back, we're going to have Pastor John Hagee of Cornerstone Church. He's going to be with us. Thanks for being here. Stay right there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki. From airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference coming up August 17th and 18th. The list of speakers is amazing. We have Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, Stacy Washington, Lonnie Poindexter, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and we'll be there too. There's a direct attack by the enemy on marriage and family and babies in the womb are treated like political footballs instead of life. We want to encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. If we can get our families on track, a lot of society's problems could be solved. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is from Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. 
You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. If you do an online search of the term cultural Marxism, you will see a Wikipedia entry that dismisses it as a conspiracy theory that is supposedly trying to take over Western culture. Actually, it is the dominant form of Marxism in America and in much of the West today. Dr. Paul Kenger was on Point of View Radio Talk Show with me to talk about his recent article about cultural Marxism. He explained that cultural Marxism began about a century ago in Germany because the proponents felt that orthodox Marxism was too limiting and too narrow. They wanted revolutionary changes in marriage, sexuality, and family. They looked to the universities as a place where their ideas could be launched. They could organize the students, the artists, and the media to transform Western society. Instead of focusing on an economic war, they wanted to bring a cultural war. One of the key figures in cultural Marxism was Antonio Gramsci, who taught that we should seize the cultural means of production. That would be the media and the universities. He believed that the social transformation would be able to march through the institutions. One place where cultural Marxism is evident today is in what is called cultural theory. Paul Kanger reminded us that Barack Obama's alma mater, Occidental College, has a Department of Critical Theory and Social Justice. It promises to instruct students in the principles of Marxism, psychoanalysis, the Frankfurt School, deconstructionism, critical race studies, queer theory, feminist theory, and post-colonial theory. If you've been near a college campus lately, this should all sound very familiar. This is not a conspiracy theory, but an accurate picture of the march of cultural Marxism through the institutions. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today at Stacey on the Right on Twitter and Instagram and StaceyOnTheRight.com. Those are the places where you can connect up and get the newsletter and subscribe and hit the like button. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, God bless. And, and we'll keep you updated on the news of the shooting in Annapolis as things develop. But right now, uh, I would ask you to just continually pray and, um, you know, get the, the, get, get that going. Pray for the, the victims, the victims' families. And uh, that we would, everybody who has anything to do with this would be apprehended and brought to justice. Um, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Pastor John Hagee of Cornerstone Church, CEO of John Hagee Ministries, Chairman of Christians United for Israel. Pastor Hagee, thank you for coming on today. It's a pleasure to hear from you. You know, I'm glad to speak to you because this is a wonderful event that you're talking about here, the Washington, D.C. Summit. Tell us all about it. The Washington, D.C. summit started in 2006. In 2006, I formed an organization called Christians Unite for Israel, because at that point in time, we were hearing the voices out of the Middle East, specifically Iran, screaming death to Israel and death to the Jews. And history teaches us that any time someone starts talking about killing the Jews, like Hitler, you need to pay attention. So I gathered 400 of America's 
finest evangelical pastors and told them we needed to start a national organization that would have the ability to put together a national grassroots organization that would stand up and defend Israel and the Jewish people. That has been done, and each year we have met in Washington, D.C., and on our first night, Monday night, we have a night to honor Israel that features exciting speakers. This year is going to be Nikki Haley. We're also going to have uh, uh, senators who will be there. Uh, Laura Ingram is going to be there. Uh, the next day, we go and meet every senator and every member of Congress, and they are—they get the opportunity to face the citizens of the United States that live in their district and uh, let them hear the things that we are concerned about concerning the nation of Israel. Right now, Christians United for Israel has 4.1 million active members in the United States of America, and what began as an idea in 2006 is a reality in 2018. Wow. So I'm on the website here, and I want to give people uh, an opportunity to go there as well. It's kufi.org, C-U-F-I.org, Christians United for Israel. Um, you named off some really heavy hitters there, Laura Ingram and our secretary to the UN, Nikki Haley, who is an outstanding speaker and an outstanding advocate on behalf of the United States for Israel at the UN. She has really been a leader there, and it's been so wonderful to see what she's been able to accomplish thus far. Um, so it's standing to support Israel, and the conference is July 23rd through 24th, 2018, and it looks like it's going to be a really good time. What are some of the things that people will, like panels or things that they'll get to engage in besides the wonderful speakers? The things that uh, we want to uh, place in the minds of the people is the importance of the uh, people who are attending to stand up and be supportive of the nation of Israel. We also want to go out of our way to express our profound appreciation to President Trump uh, for his um, willingness to recognize the city of Jerusalem. Obviously, it had been the capital of Israel for 3,000 years, but uh, some members of the U.N. still hadn't gotten the message, so that Jerusalem was, in fact, the, the capital of Israel. And then he dedicated, they moved the embassy and had a dedication for that embassy, which I was privileged to participate in. And then he yanked the wheels off of the Iranian nuclear deal, which uh, was really a master stroke in bringing peace to the Middle East and the security of America, because when Barack Obama gave them $150 billion, he gave them enough money to build a nuclear weapon that would take Israel, Israel out. They were talking about Israel being a one-bomb state, and they would have used that nuclear power to threaten future presidents of the United States. But thanks to, thanks to President Trump, uh, that's gone. That's over. We have a partner for peace in Israel. The world knows it. Our embassy is there. Israel and America are hooked at the hip. We are partners for peace. And the tyrants of the world are in a state of shock. Nikki Haley has played a great role in that, by the way, in the United Nations. Wow. So this is uh, 
this this is just a, kind of that time in history where this is going to be one of the probably one of the best conferences you guys have ever had. <laughs> I will tell you, this is going to be a jubilee session. This is our 12th year, and the number 12 in Hebrew is a very strong number. It's the 12, it's the number of authority in the kingdom of God. And we are, as Christians, delighted to go to Washington with a divine authority to stand up for Israel, to defend Israel, uh, to stand against anti-Semitism in every form which is sweeping this country in America colleges and universities. Uh, it's, it's time for people who have any kind of biblical foundation uh, and any appreciation at all for the contribution the Jewish people have made to Christianity to come to Washington July the 22nd and the 23rd, Monday and Tuesday, and uh, become a part of this great crowd of people expressing their support for the state of Israel. Perfect. Well, Pastor Hagee, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us and tell us about this. The website's kufi.org, C-U-F-I.org, and that's where you can register for the conference. Sounds like a really good time is going to be had by all for people who want to register and go hear that fantastic lineup of speakers and get to kind of network and spend time with people who really support Israel and our alliance with them as the United States. Thank you, Pastor, for joining in today. Stacy, if I could say one thing. Sure. Those of you who live within driving distance of Washington, D.C., and just want to go hear Nikki Haley, you can drive and go and for a $10 contribution, join a crowd of thousands that will be there. We would love to have you at the Washington, D.C. Uh, Conference Center. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Pastor Hagee. Great to speak uh, to you today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, I, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, some, sometimes uh, we can get a little overwhelmed with all the conferences and things that are going on. And you just have to be wise and, you know, make your choices about which ones you're going to attend. This one sounds like a really great time. Um, it's roughly three weeks away. So still time to, to go if you really feel like, um, you know, if you really feel like you can make it. And, and it sounds like, you know, so those two speakers alone, I know he listed off a few. But Nikki Haley and Laura Ingram, that, that's, that's pretty good stuff right there. So um, I want to also circle back around to the breaking news story that we're covering right now here on the show. We're, we're kind of dipping in and out. Um, and that is the shooting in Annapolis. So apparently, Milo Yiannopoulos, and this is according to a number of stories um, that are here, breaking news kind of people are reporting this alongside the story about the shooting that Milo Yiannopoulos had a moment on um, his, I guess he has a podcast or a radio program where he said it's time to start shooting up newsrooms. And then today, you know, that's what's happening. I don't want people to assign blame or to act as if this is something that has happened because of President Trump's uh, kind of back and forth with the media. He's never said that they should be harmed. And I think the speculation is just a bit much. Um, there are people who go online and, and, and on social media and say these things. Um, you know, up oh, they're, they're now reporting it over at Ross Story about Milo Yiannopoulos. Um, so one law enforcement source 
has told CBS News the suspect is a white male in his 20s. He did not have identification on him and that the, that he used a shotgun. Um, and that's as far as I'm going to go in identifying the person. I'm not going to use his name on the air and I'm not going to do a big expose on his past history or you know how he grew up and what kind of car he drove and all that kind of stuff. We've got to stop glorifying these monsters who go around shooting up places when they're angry. Uh, and so one suspect in custody as of right now, that's all we know. For people to be giving, uh, you know, this, it, blaming it on this person and that takes away the responsibility of the person who actually took the time to organize themselves to, to pull off this, this heinous activity. And I don't know what's going on at the, the Gazette. You know, I don't know very much about the reporting that they do there. I have no idea if I've ever had any interaction with them in the thousands of interviews that I've done. So, you know, full disclosure, I have no idea. As this story is breaking, we'll bring you more. Um, and I just want people to, we should as Christians commit to praying about this, praying for the people who have been injured, praying for uh, the first responders and everyone who has anything to do with it. And then as we learn more, we'll know more. And that's it. That's all we've got. So if you're wondering what the first lady is doing, she's actually had a short notice engagement. She flew out this morning and she is engaged in a roundtable discussion with federal officials and a rancher at the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol Tucson Station. Uh, the participants in the roundtable are First Lady Melania Trump, Kevin McAleenan, who's the Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, Randolfo Karish, who's a Chief Patrol Agent, Riley Leonard, Division Chief, Michael Humphreys, Assistant Director to Field Operations Director, Joyce Silva, Border Patrol Agent, Jesse Williams, Deputy Field Operations Director, David Gonzalez, who's a U.S. Marshal, Jerry Fairweather, Chief Deputy U.S. Marshal, and Mr. Dan Bell, who's a local rancher. Um, the First Lady was welcomed in by Mr. McLellan, and he said that 1,600 people, including 539 and families tried to enter the United States illegally just yesterday. So she's not just going around doing photo ops and glad handing with the children. She is meeting with the children at each of these locations that she's been showing up to, but she's also speaking to the border patrol agents and she's putting uh, an, an opportunity in front of these people to speak to her about what they're going through and what their jobs entail and, and, and what it's like to do the work that they do. And, you know, just like we don't give enough credit to the people who pick up our trash and the people who, um, you know, lay sewer mains and the, and the guys who, you know, create, not just create the plans for, but actually build uh, dams and things, water control systems. They don't, they're, they're like unsung heroes. They go around in the background. In fact, Mike Rowe does a television show that's now on TBN, I believe, uh, on the weekend after the Mike Huckabee program. And... He, he talks, he does dirty jobs, but he also interviews these amazing people who do, you know, this is the unsung hero type work. We talk a lot about how teachers are unsung heroes and things like that, and, and they do amazing work. But I'm talking about the kind of stuff that you wouldn't dream of ever attempting to do that these types of people do. And Border Patrol agents are among that group. Not only do we not sing their praises or give them any credit for what they do, but we never consider the emotional toll it takes on them to have to deal in. Basically, it's the control of human beings who all they have on their mind is getting into the country and the Border Patrol agents, all they have on their mind is controlling the flow of people into the country illegally 
And we make that job so much harder for them because we do not have a physical barrier to prevent people from coming in. Just the existence of a physical barrier at our border would reduce the number of people who attempt to cross illegally. Also, proper enforcement would reduce it. Immediate turnarounds, actual courts on the border where people would be heard and immediately turned around. But we don't have that. And we have a party in this country right now that's advocating so strongly for the lawlessness that this is where we are. So you have the president's wife down there. She asks how often he sees children crossing alone and at what age. Um, He showed her a photo of a six-year-old boy crossing the desert with a Coke bottle and a note. He said people have to also understand the danger of the desert, of the heat. Gonzalez explained that the Marshal Service mission at the border processing pre-child prisoners charged with border crossing offenses. He said most plead guilty and are sentenced to time served, although repeat offenders can get as much as 90 days. And Bell, who was the rancher at the round table, said he's a fourth generation rancher in a family that has been ranching along the border since 1938. He advocated for stronger enforcement, more access to the border for ranchers and for the port at Nogales to remain open. Silva said she's been a Border Patrol agent for more than 20 years. She's originally from New York City. She says, I love my job. As a mother, it hurts to see the children. They don't know what's going on. She says her job is to get them to safety and give them food, water, and toys if they still want them. She's also given children her lunch while she's in the field. After they get done with this roundtable, First Lady Melania Trump will move to a tour of the detention facility, and the press corps will report from there. Um, I think, you know, depends on where, what time that report comes in during the show. If we have time, we'll get to it, but possibly not. Right now, we know we're going to be going out here in just a second uh, to the break. And when we come back, I have that audio for you of Chris Matthews losing it. This is the time for your popcorn, your snacks. Your, maybe you have been saving a piece of cake or a little thing of yogurt that's vanilla flavored for the afternoon for your snack. Or maybe you're just going to munch on an apple. Now's, now's your time. You go get those snacks and treats. And be ready because unhinged Chris Matthews is up next on Stacy on the Right. I also want to encourage you guys to head out and get the book, Growing in Prayer, which I often talk about on the show. Um, and I'm actually compiling a few extra copies because I wanted to do some giveaways here on the show um, to kind of spur people on because I know what it's like. I'll be, you know, I'll be in my car sometimes. Um, running around doing stuff and I'll be listening to a show or, or, you know, news and information program and someone will interview someone and they'll talk about their book. And while I'm listening, I'm like, oh man, that sounds good. I should add that to my list. And then I arrive at my destination, turn my car off and go inside. And I don't think about it again until someone says, I just read so-and-so or so-and-so was just on. I'm like, wait, did I say I wanted it? And by then it's so far gone. It's like never getting it back. So I had the idea get a few extra copies, give a few copies away on the show. I've had people reach out about that book more than any other book I've ever talked about on this program. So we're going to be doing that in the month of August. It's going to be super fun. Um, So I'm getting my stuff together for that. And I'm excited to be able to do that here on the show. When we get back, we'll have more for you. Stay right there. This 
This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Tony and I look forward to Tuesdays because it's a time we can give back to our community. And it's also become a date day for us. We see our older kids off to school and get a babysitter to watch the youngest ones. Then Lauren and I visit two Tampa schools where we read to students. Afterwards, we have lunch together. Tuesdays is just another way that Tony and I make sure we're scheduling time for the two of us. Yes, we're both busy, but isn't everyone? So when it comes to your uncommon marriage, T-I-M-E is the key word. Spend time with each other and you'll see your marriage grow. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. We need you to call your senators today. Tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Again, call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for His service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet, they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved, submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. You know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with 8 Days of Hope. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Let me uh, bring in Chris Matthews on the politics of this and that confirmation battle that now looms. And Chris, you've been all over uh, our airwaves the last few hours calling on Democrats to fight this. Let me ask you from a political standpoint, if you're Democrats sitting there with 49 votes in the Senate and you need to bring over at least one, probably a couple of Republicans to have a chance of knocking this off, what is the best argument or the best tactic that Democrats would have to pick off those Republicans. How about survival of the Democratic leadership? You know, in 19, uh, 2016, rather, look what happened. Hillary Clinton, the establishment candidate, won. How did she win the party? 
helped her. They had debates during NFL games. Any way to protect her from a serious onslaught from Bernie Sanders. Then they go ahead and they lose. They never even got a vote on Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. And now we're talking about having a vote before in the next four or five months, right before a midterm election on this, whoever Trump cooks up. I don't think the party leadership can survive this. How do you explain that you couldn't stop when you have 49 senators? They just had 50. You know, just a few years ago, look at the way the Republicans have played the rules. First of all, they said it took Senate, 60 senators to approve a Supreme Court justice uh, back two years ago. It also, uh, that's 60 years. Then they got rid of that from the nuclear option. And they said also, we're not going to elect anybody or nominate or confirm anybody in the year before a presidential election. So they denied confirmation, or even hearings or even meetings with Gary Garland, Merrick Garland, the Democratic nominee of, of President Obama. And so they're playing all these games. It's 60 votes now. It's 50. Oh, by the way, we're not even going to have a vote on it. So he's spitting a little bit and he's really losing his stuffing. Welcome back to the show. Last segment of the hour. If you want to call in and talk about any of this stuff, I welcome your calls. 866-963-2037. Thank you for being here. Thanks for your calls and encouragement. Um, I he he just he sounds so unhinged and he's so upset. And I get it. I mean, we've talked about a lot like like the list that I gave you a little bit ago during the program is the reason he's so upset. And obviously, if the shoe was on the other foot, I would be pretty apoplectic as well. Um, you know, it's it's natural to react negatively when the the news is bad. But it's just interesting to hear him because he's been so he was. I mean, do you guys remember, wasn't he quite smug when he thought Hillary Clinton was about to be the president of the United States? He used to say things about her on the air. You're kind of like, she's not one yet, dude. And he's like, because when Hillary is president, you know, he just had this sense of resignation about it that was so palpable. And now he's really upset, like he's totally upset. And I got to say. I know this this is this is this is real talk, but are Democrats upset about the possibility of the overturning of Roe v. Wade because lots of poor people would not have the option to have taxpayer funded abortions through Medicaid and they would have more children? Or is it because they would lose the control and messaging over so many women and that America might become more family oriented? You know, there's there's new information out that is so ridiculously negative about the birth rate here in this country, about the amount, the number of Americans who, the, the number of cities and counties and states in which more people are dying than are born, uh, you know, new, new kids are born. We've got to do something. We can't just import our birth rate problem away. We can't just import people super fast to make up for the fact that Americans aren't having enough children. To overturn Roe v. Wade and to get people back into, basically, you have to control yourself. If you don't want to have kids, then you would need to abstain from sexual activity or get married. Yeah. Or bring the baby to term and give the baby up for adoption, which so many families out there, that's why they adopt abroad, because they can't adopt a baby here in this country. There are only children available. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But for families who are looking for a baby, they have to go outside of this country. People are having too many abortions. Women are having too many abortions. And any abortion is wrong. It's all wrong. But you understand what I'm saying when we have more, more people who are dying out in a county than babies who are being born. 
It means our population is on the decline. That's a terrible development. The Bible says the fruit of the womb is your reward. And we know it's true. If you're a parent, you know that's true. If you're a grandparent, you doubly know it's true. Because the only way you get to be a grandparent is if you have some kids in the first place. And then you have to raise those kids to want to have kids themselves. You know, what's so sad is when you meet, you know, a a person who's in their 60s and they tell you that, oh, yeah, we have we have kids, but our kids are not interested in a family. You know, they vacation, they have very nice lives and they just they're not interested in having a family. And then what ends up happening is when that couple does decide that they want to have a family, you know, that the ovaries have gotten old. um, The motility is not where it needs to be. They're having trouble conceiving because they're, they've gotten past the prime age to have kids, which is in your 20s. And so then you have these grandparents who they thought all along their kids would want to have kids, but it's, it's a culture that you're passing on to your family. And so this idea that kids are expensive, kids are a burden, kid, kid, there's just too much, you know, no, they're not. They're not a burden. Kids don't require an upper class upbringing. Kids don't require the birthday parties when they're three and four and five and six and seven. They never actually require that. Kids don't demand that they're the only child so they don't have any siblings so they can have all of the money and all of the attention of their parents. Kids just want parents who love them and, you know, safety and warm roof over the head and something to eat. They're not really picky. They can get picky. You can raise them picky, but they're not that way coming out of the gate. And the other thing I've noticed, because you guys know, I've admitted to you that, you know, we don't have Netflix anymore, but up until just recently, we were a Netflix family or an Amazon Prime family, meaning we don't watch a lot of live television. And so recently, there's just been a couple of times where we've spent a a couple of hours in front of the television watching some live TV. And I've noticed that what used to be the norm was lots of commercials about pampers and babies and formula and baby clothes and baby shoes and all the stuff that babies need, all their, you know, babies come with all this, this equipment. You hardly ever see those commercials anymore. Now, I don't watch live TV during the day. Maybe they only have those on during the day. But on the big three networks, the number of, pro, uh, of commercials that, are, that have babies in them, because, you know, it, it, makes, it makes your ovaries hurt. You know, that's the joke with us women is when you see juicy, fat babies on the commercial, you're like, oh, you know, I want one of those. If you don't have women sitting at home, or sitting in front of the television in the evening, looking at the juicy baby thighs and, you know, the pamper commercial, you don't have anybody putting those babies out there for people to look at. You don't have a culture in which babies are prized and seen as something that is, you know, that's a goal. I want babies. Then you're not going to have as many people engage in that. Now, all the young people I know who are in their early, early thirties, late twenties, all of the ones that I know that I'm, that I have, you know, online relationships with or friends with, they're all in baby fever. They're having babies. They're putting together these adorable little announcements where the siblings hold up a sign that says baby number two is on the way, baby number three is on the way. But they tend to be Christian families who are doing that. Um, It's not good for us as a nation to deprioritize families and to make not having babies and having control of your weekends and having, you know, uh, Sunday mornings with the paper and coffee and your dog to yourself, you know, Sunday mornings at the dog park. Nothing about that sounds awesome to me. If you are not almost sweating in the morning on Sunday mornings, gathering together all the kids and their diaper bag and making sure you have your Bible and all your attendant, it's like you're moving into the church. You have so many bags. If you're not doing that. If you're not, you know, cramming a bowl of grits in front of two kids and telling the other kid, make yourself some toast. 
and everybody's eating and then rushing out the door to get to church on Sundays. You just aren't living. You got to be doing that, especially when the kids are small, because that's the routine that you set. And then when you get into the teenage years, you don't have teenagers who are looking at you crazy when you say, hey, it's time to get up and go to church. They're not going to do that because they already know Sundays we go to church. They'll be the ones getting you up. What are you doing? Are you sleeping in, mom? It's time to get ready for church. They'll do it. And then you won't be sweating anymore. Then you'll be cool, calm, and collected, strolling down to the minivan to get in with the kids. And they'll have already dressed themselves and eaten their own breakfast. And y'all get in there and you'll have your coffee cup and you head on over to the church for Sunday mornings. You got to be doing that. Um, and, And message for anyone who's in the audience who hears me talking about that. And maybe you've been hurt in church or you've had negative experience at, at, at a church and you feel like, I don't need to go there anymore, give it another try. There's another church out there with people in there who are desperate to have you become a part of their membership and be a part of what they're doing. And they're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. God's waiting for you there. Get, get over there. Get, get into a church home where you have a community where you can plug in. And, um, but I, I just encourage parents, if you have kids at home, Talk to them about why you loved having them and what what they bring to your life and how fulfilling it is and how much more worthy it is to have a family than it is to simply satisfy your own desires of sleeping in late on the weekend and never having anyone that you have to take care of. And point out to them the loneliness of adults who they only had one child and that child isn't interested in spending time with them in their elderly years or they didn't have any children. So they don't have anyone to take care of them in their elderly years. People who have large families have people to rally around them when their health starts to fail. They have more than one child to choose from to go live with instead of automatically going into a home or an assisted living facility. If you have a family, you have that built-in system. It's a support system that God wants us to have. That's why, Why do you think he made the family? He knew we needed people. We need each other. And I think it's kind of crazy that I have to say that But that's the culture we're living in, the culture that devalues families and interaction between people, the culture that says to us, it's much better to have all of your extra money to go on trips. Look at, you could go to New Zealand and walk the same ground as the uh, characters from the Lord of the Rings. And you could go to Egypt and you could go to Dubai and you could stay on a man-made island. You could fly around the world and you could take cruises and you could see the glaciers and you could experience all of that with a wine glass in your hand or a champagne flute in your hand. And you and your husband or you and your wife can be there spending time together and enjoying yourselves and the fruit of your labor. And you don't have to worry about kids crying and kids getting sick and kids having 10 colds a year. And what kind of school are they going to go to and all this garbage? And what I'm saying to you is it sounds wonderful, but those are the same people you see later in life when your kids are graduating from high school and you're, you know, inviting people to come and they're the ones who they... They're, they're loving being invited to your activities because they don't have any because holding that champagne flute gets old when you don't have anything to hold it up to celebrate except, oop, another promotion. It is an innate desire for women, for most women, to want to have a family, but our culture is suppressing that and we have to fight back against it. Sure, having a family is a risk because that means you have people that you care about desperately that you are worried they might not, like what if something happens? What if something happens? But instead of saying, what if something happens, grab your scripture and confess to the Lord. Ah, that's what I was going to, so this is for tomorrow. I found, so I donated a piece of furniture and it was in our bedroom and I had the contents of my nightstand drawer from our last house. I just threw it in that drawer and I forgot it was in there. 
I pulled the drawer out to empty it out and I started going through it and I found a little prayer pamphlet from 10, maybe 15 years ago. It has to be 15 years because the oldest one is 18. It might be even more than that. And it has uh, prayers for moms in it. And every day you read a confession and it has some, it's like a prayer confession and then it has uh, scriptures at the, at the end. And oh my goodness, I, as soon as I saw it and I sat down and read for, for the first page, all the memories came rushing back about all the, you know, you have all these fears and what if the baby gets sick and what if this happens? What if that happens? And so this confessional book is meant to calm the fears of moms and you pray and you confess these things over your family. And it is an amazing resource. I can't believe I haven't seen it in four years since we moved here because we've been living in this house for four years. And it was in my nightstand with something that I used regularly. So I want to give you guys these confessions. Confess the truth of who you are before God as we're going out of the show today. And then my promise, I'm going to have that. I'm going to show you guys what it looks like. I'm not sure if it's out of print or what, but I'm looking for some extra copies to put with that Growing in Prayer book that we're going to give away next month because I feel like it's a resource I want to gift to somebody else because it blessed me so much as a, a young mom. So here are the confessions of the truth who you are before God. And these are all scriptures that you can find in your Bible or online. If you have a phone, pick your phone up, Google the scripture. You can hit print. You can do whatever you want. You have, the, you have an entire encyclopedia of the universe right here in your hand if you have a phone. No excuses. It says, I have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I reign in life through Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 17. I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything about me is new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God, Mark 10, 26 and 27. Without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you, John 14.17. And the last one, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Be blessed this evening. Confess God's word over your life. And I'll be back with you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.